This sermon was recorded at the Johnson County Congregation of Redeemer Fellowship, a church that exists to cultivate communities of transformed disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of the city. For more information, visit RedeemerKansasCity.org. Our scripture reading this morning is John chapter 16, verses 22 to 27. It can be found on page 903 in your black-covered Bibles. John 16, verse 22. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Well, hey, good morning. It's really fun to be here this morning. I love this church. If you don't know me, my name is Wyatt. I'm one of the pastors here. I get to oversee our care and counseling and prayer ministries. So today we are going to talk about praying in the name of Jesus. So I'm really excited to be the one that gets to talk about that with you today uh, because I've spent a lot of time uh, working to help our church really embrace a lifestyle of prayer and experience the power and the intimacy that comes with praying in the name of Jesus. I got to kind of help shape our Sunday morning prayer ministers that are over here uh, during the communion time, have a hand in that ministry. And uh, I got to develop the curriculum and lead the trainings for our ministering prayer class, which we do a couple times a year. We'll do it again in the fall. Um, and I, I've, I've worked really hard to bring how we pray into our care ministries. So as our volunteers are caring for people, it's really informed and saturated in prayer. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited to, to be here and, and talk about this with you today because the ministering to people and praying in the name of Jesus is like the most effective way I have seen to minister to others. And to see God's kingdom actually come and obtain here on earth. Uh, but beyond that, um, I don't think there's any single discipline that has been as helpful for me personally as praying in the name of Jesus. I don't think there's anything that has stabilized me in my faith as much. I don't think there's anything that has equipped me as much. I don't think there's anything that has help deepen my intimacy with God as much as uh, the real power of praying in the name of Jesus. Um, but that whole concept of ask whatever you want in my name and I'll do it um, can be a little mysterious or a little spooky. Uh, it, it can be hard to know like exactly what does that mean and, and how do I walk that out. So here's what I want to do with y'all today. 
I want to slow down and maybe be a little more teachy than a little more preachy to actually help you understand when the scriptures say that, exactly what does it mean? And how do I know that I know what it means? So I have confidence to stand on it. And if you have confidence to stand on it and to really understand what the scriptures are saying and not saying, my hope is that that would then actually inform and change how you pray starting today. So my big hope for today is that you walk out of this room with a clearer understanding of what it means to pray in the name of Jesus and take a step or two toward actually being able to put that into practice. Because Christians here today, it really is true that Jesus promises you miraculous power when you are partnered with Jesus to accomplish his purposes. And this helps you to joyfully persevere. Um, Before we go any further, let's pray. Ah, Heavenly Father, right now I'm really aware that the people in this room don't need more of me they need more of you. Hey, so would you help me? Would you help me to get out of the way? Would you help me to step into the stream of what you're already doing in these lives and hearts uh, so this would be pleasing to you and helpful for our community? I ask that you'd empower my words, but also like empower our hearing to unstop our ears and help us to hear more than what Wyatt's saying. Like, what is... What is the word of God saying? What are you, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to each of us today? So we ask for your help with expectation that you will arrive and do that. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so... We've been studying the upper room discourse together as a church. This is Jesus' last time with his remaining uh, 12 apostles, disciples, before he's going to be crucified, raised from the dead, ascend to heaven, and not be with them any longer. It's his kind of final teaching to help equip them for the shaking and the trouble and the difficulty that's going to lie ahead of them as they uh, do life and ministry without him embodied standing next to them. And so in our scripture today, Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. But throughout the few chapters of this upper room discourse, uh, Jesus makes a few similar claims in the whole section that we've been looking at together over these these last three chapters. So rather than just focusing on this one verse or this one instance, I want to zoom out and look at the general theme, the general principle, the general promise that's being taught here that's kind of sprinkled throughout all of it. And so let me take a moment and read all of those to you so that you have them kind of in your mind as we go forward. Uh, All three of these are from John 14, 15, and 16. So we'll start with John 14. 14.12, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, 
this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Then to John 15, 16, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And then our reading today, John 16, 23, in that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. As a bonus, I'll throw in one more. This is from 1 John. It's a letter that was written by the same apostle that wrote this gospel that we're looking at today. He wrote a letter uh, later uh, to Christians just like you and me who are living after the earthly life of Jesus. So here's what he has to say in that letter. This is 1 John 5.13. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us in whatever we ask. We know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. All right, so I want you to notice the parallels in each of these scriptures that I read. Uh, There is uh, a promise that God, either the Father or the Son, will hear what's being asked and deliver it, Uh, and there's a qualifier. There's a condition in each of these scriptures as well, and that is that it be done in my name, or that your fruit should abide, or asking the Father in my name, and ask according to his will. So we know that each of these verses is describing the same truth, using slightly different words. Uh, And so it will be helpful to look at all of them together as we try to figure out, like, like, how do they fit together, and how do they fit into this larger um, teaching that Jesus gave his disciples before his departure? And just like really briefly, uh, some people wonder if when Jesus says, in that day you'll ask nothing of me, some people wonder if that means that we shouldn't ask Jesus for things. But when we look at all these scriptures together, we can see really clearly that the, there are scriptures that expect and command us to not only ask things of the Father, but also ask things of the Son. So it's, again, it's helpful to kind of look at them all together. Um, When Jesus says, in that day, so in that day, you'll ask nothing of me, ultimately he's referring to his second coming, uh, the end of world history when we all see him face to face. All right, so the thing about scriptures like these, though, is if they're misunderstood or if they're misapplied, they can cause real problems in our Christian life, in our faith. Um, If we try to pray in the name of Jesus. We ask God for something. We end the prayer with, in the name of Jesus, amen. Uh, What if it doesn't happen? Sometimes folks can come away with a a question in their heart of, well, okay, it didn't happen. Does that mean that God doesn't really love me or love me enough or like me enough to do this thing? Because I thought that he promised that he would do it. Is he not Will he care about the person that I'm praying for enough to do it? Or does he care about any of us enough to, to act in this way? Or, well, here's this promise and it didn't happen. Does that mean that God's really not powerful and 
or, or maybe he just chooses to kind of not intervene as much as the scriptures kind of imply that he would. Maybe the scriptures aren't really trustworthy. Maybe they're just kind of exaggerated or misinformed. Right? You, you hear where those kinds of, um, those kind of lies or those kind of misbeliefs would bubble up. We don't really understand uh, what's promised here and uh, understand it and apply it correctly. And so if we misunderstand or misapply these truths, our prayer life can shrink. We can get afraid to ask the Lord for the things that are really most important to us, or maybe we stop asking specifically and kind of retreat uh, to vague prayers. Might end up depending on our own strength more. Well, if he's not going to help me out, I guess I got to do it myself. And then resulting in depending on God less. But here's the thing, family. These really are promises. And we actually are able to know what they mean and apply them, and we don't have to be afraid to let them guide how we pray. The Bible really is true. God really is powerful. God really does love you and those around you. The truth is, is that Jesus promises Christians miraculous power when you're partnered with him to accomplish his purposes. All of this helps us to joyfully persevere. And that's what I want you to come away with this morning. First of all, I want you to be really clear. This is a promise. It's not an exaggeration. It's not hyperbole. It's not a general principle with some notable exceptions. This is a promise. And since this truth is a promise, it's going to be really important for you to know what this is not promising. It's not promising that if you say the name of Jesus in a prayer that God will give you whatever you want or whatever you think you want or whatever uh, you think even God might want to happen in this situation. And the easy example is you can't pray for a sports car and have a guarantee that a sports car is going to pop into existence, right? That's kind of an obvious, silly example. It gets less obvious, though, and less silly when the things that we're praying for are really close to our hearts. And so, so what happens when our finances are too low and there's more bills coming in and you don't know where you'd get that extra money from? What about when that person that you really love is really sick and they're getting sicker? What about that prodigal child? Or that friend or that neighbor or that family member that you love? And you talk to them about Jesus, but they're still a million miles away. That's, that's where it gets tougher. These are not magic words where if you just say the incantation right, the Father has to do what you want and fix all of these things. Think about this. Jesus himself miraculously healed many people and he left many people unhealed. Many people believed in Jesus' words and many more did not believe. And so when people make the understandable mistake of believing that the scripture is promising these things, that's when it can get really disappointing and really painful. But this is actually a promise. And it's an important promise. 
It's so important that Jesus repeats it three times in his farewell speech to his best friends before he's about to leave them. That's how important it is. They needed this teaching to help them endure for the rest of their lives. And many of their lives ended in martyrdom. But it's not just a promise to his disciples then. It's a promise to you, Christian, sitting here today. I think it's uh, helpful to return to 1 John 5. That, that epistle that I tacked on uh, when we were doing readings earlier. Because it's written, again, after the earthly ministry of Jesus. Uh, and listen again to who it's written to. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So, are you living after the time of Jesus' earthly ministry? And do you believe in the name of the Son of God? Then this promise is for you. And it's not just a promise of, uh, uh, it's even better than that. It's actually a promise of miraculous power, of miraculous power, the kind that the scriptures talk about. I'm thinking about James here in James 5 when he says that Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth, and then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So we can be tempted to believe that this promise like, only relates to like non-verifiable, invisible things. Right, like us growing in virtue or becoming more transformed into the image of Christ. Make no mistake, God does answer those prayers. And I'm more inclined to think that like, he does that more often than they're like, really visible kinds of showy things. Um, but, it would, but this scripture makes it clear that these visible miracles, these signs and wonders are available to us too. And interestingly, God insists on us being a meaningful participant. He desires and he plans on us praying just so that he can answer our prayers. He invites us in that way to participate with him in what he's up to in his family business on the earth. James 4.2 says this, you do not have because you do not ask. The Lord wants meaningful participation. Sometimes he's just waiting for you to ask so that he can answer. And James goes on, uh, and I think adds a little helpful uh, pro tip for us. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So Jesus promises you, Christian, miraculous power in prayer, but this is conditional. It's only when you ask in his name. So what does it mean to ask in his name? Asking in the name of Jesus is to ask when you are partnered with him in order to accomplish his purposes. Praying in the name of Jesus is not about tacking a few words onto the end of your prayer so that the Father has to say yes. In the Old Testament, the idea of God's name was associated with deep intimacy with God and was almost synonymous with the presence of God himself. Listen to how Jesus talks about a name, even just a little later on, just across the page. 
uh, here in John 17. John 17, 10, Jesus is praying. And he prays, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was, uh, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. And not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scriptures might be fulfilled. So, to be in Jesus' name is to be in God. To be in the family of God. Which naturally goes along with acting according to the will of God. Or having your fruit abide in obedience to his commandments and in loving God. So to do something in Jesus' name, like pray, is to do something in Jesus. And as someone who is part of Jesus' special family, which means sharing in the family name, and currently acting on behalf of Jesus' family business. So if we think about it that way, it seems pretty natural that God will answer prayers that are made in partnership with him. Prayers that are made in order to advance what God already wills and wants in the present moment. So in order to pray in the name of Jesus, we first need to be part of Jesus' family. And we need to totally surrender our own purposes and ask for what we discern God's purposes are in the moment. Hey, and this is exactly how Jesus accomplished all of his works. John 5.19 says this. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord. It's a little startling. The Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. If we skip down later to verse 30, Jesus continues, I can do nothing on my own. Wow. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Do you see how dependent Jesus is on the initiative of the Father in all of his miraculous works? Jesus is inviting every Christian into the same stream of miraculous power that he operates in. Jesus didn't do anything on his own. He was and is eternally God, but he emptied himself of his power during his incarnation. Remember that after his temptation in the wilderness, the scriptures say that Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. And then he goes to a synagogue to begin his ministry, And he reads these words uh, from the scroll of Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, again, referring to his spirit empowerment, to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Those are all the hallmarks of the earthly ministry of Jesus. And he's signaling that those are empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
He acted in the power of the Spirit to perform all of these key aspects of his ministry. Jesus did mighty works according to the will of the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit, just like us. Do you see that Jesus is inviting you into the full depth of the power of the triune God? This is why he can say that his disciples would do greater works. You are being, to, uh, being invited to participate in the full power of the Most High God. And like Jesus, that power comes according to the will of the Father through the empowerment of the Spirit. Okay, but what if my prayer isn't answered? Well, we might be asking amiss, or the timing might not be right, and God wants us to keep on asking. Remember that Jesus told parables specifically so that we would keep on praying and not lose heart. Jesus expects that we would ask again and again and again before our prayers are answered, even when our prayers are good. He set it up that way. So this promise is conditional. It's conditional upon asking when you are partnered with him or when you're in him to accomplish his purposes. And he also gives us this promise in order to help us joyfully persevere. Jesus tells the disciples in our scripture for this morning, ask and you'll receive that your joy may be full. So what does joy have to do with praying in Jesus' name? It's tempting to think that Jesus means that our joy will be full because we'll be getting a bunch of stuff that we want from the Father. Well, we've already talked about how part of praying in Jesus' name means setting aside our own desires and agendas in favor of his. So I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at here. I think he's getting at something else. The word joy has many connotations throughout Scripture. In the book of John, the aspect of joy that is highlighted over and over again is this feeling of satisfaction that comes when a hope or a promise, something expected, comes. So that is joy in the Gospel of John. It's having this expected hope or promise or desire fulfilled. And what happens with, with joy in the Gospel of John is that the satisfaction of this fulfillment of this, of this promise or expectation makes all the difficulty that you went through while you were waiting worth it and seems less difficult and less painful in retrospect. And Jesus uses the image of childbirth to describe the difficult time before the hope is fulfilled. So if we back up ahead of our reading today and we start in verse 20 and kind of get a running start uh, to our reading today. Start in verse 20. It says, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You'll be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take that joy from you. Throughout the Old Testament, the image of a woman in labor was used to describe um, like the difficult waiting for the day of the Lord. 
that end of human history when God comes back and puts everything right. And so Jesus is teaching two things, I think. One is that receiving what we ask for in Jesus' name will help encourage us and bolster us. We need his power breaking in to this really difficult and painful world while we labor in the family business. We can't live a full Christian life without his miraculous help. Okay, so then when we have endured to the end and we meet Jesus face to face, our joy will be full because our hope has been fulfilled like a mother holding her newborn child. The hope of meeting Jesus face to face and being with him forever. All right, so if that's what this promise is and how it works, how do we actually walk in it? How do I actually learn to pray in Jesus' name? I wonder if a couple of stories from my own life would be illustrative here. Uh, these stories stick out to me because uh, they both happened when I, was a, when I was a really young guy and I was, I was first starting to understand some of what it really means to pray in the name of Jesus and see like things happen. These were really formative for me. Uh, and they might be sort of like exemplary of what we're talking about. Uh, so the first one is uh, there's this woman in our church that has cancer. And so as a result, uh, the church decides to have a special prayer meeting a prayer night where we're going to get together and we're going to ask that this woman's cancer is healed. So I'm there in the meeting. I'm a young guy. Church is all praying that this woman's cancer would be healed. And like in my gut somewhere, I just know that I know something. I'm not really sure how. I'm pretty sure it's the Lord. And what I knew was that this woman's cancer was not going to be miraculously healed. She was going to go through treatment. However, her recovery from that treatment would be unexplainable and miraculous. And it would draw the attention of the medical staff, and she would be able to be a witness to God's power. And so I'm in this prayer meeting, and everyone's praying this woman would be healed. And me and my youthful zeal, I prayed exactly <laughs> what I had sort of intuited inside. Lord, I don't think that you're going to heal this woman's cancer. That was dumb. I could have just like deleted that. But I made peace. We're all okay now. I pray that. I say, but Lord, would you cause her recover to be supernaturally unexplainable and would you use as a witness for you? So the way that it played out is her cancer wasn't healed. She did receive treatment and her recovery actually was supernaturally unexplainably to the point where the nurses are coming up to this woman saying, we've never seen this before. Uh, and she's able to say, well, that's because I, I worship a God who really hears our prayers. So here's the principle of having a sense of, okay, Lord, what do you want right now? That then turns into a prayer. And then when we ask, we receive and the Lord provides it. And it results in a bolstering or a confidence because I'm going like, oh, I guess I really did intuit what the Holy Spirit was leading in that moment. Now, I needed a little bit of wisdom. <laughs> the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. I could have controlled how I said that. But it bolstered me. It gave me endurance. Uh, 
the next one is I'm in uh, junior college. I'm up at Johnson County Community College taking some classes, uh, and there's all kinds of gaps in my schedule, and so I end up hanging out in this common room and reconnecting with some like old friends that I had uh, like way back in, in school uh, and meeting a bunch of new ones. They're all unbelievers. But in this kind of downtime between classes, we just hang out in this common room, uh, and I'd try to like witness to them or kind of you know rub off on them for the gospel. Uh, by the way, if you're looking for a place to do evangelism and ministry, junior colleges are filled with people in this like transition space. They're all in the middle of something, trying to find out what's next, and they're all asking questions and looking and grasping. So anyway, hang out with this group, uh, and one of the women in the group is really concerned about this guy that actually I knew as kind of a mutual friend years and years ago, who had run away from home. So we're young enough that some of us are still living at home. He had run away from home, he had a really fragile medical condition, and he was kind of an impulsive guy who would like make poor decisions and didn't take his meds with him. So this is actually like a life-threatening situation that this guy ran away with this really fragile medical condition. As uh, she's talking about it, I can see the concern on people's faces and everyone's kind of bummed and worried and she's visibly upset. Not, Not in my gut, but I have this really loud thought that I recognize that's not me. It kind of like, like dropped in my head. And it was a command. It was, tell them that you will pray that this guy is found safely. So I'm sitting, as everyone's talking, this happens inside my head. I go, yeah, that's the Lord. But what if I say that? Because he said, tell them. What if I say that and this kid isn't found? Or he's found dead in the street tomorrow. Right? It really felt like I'm kind of not only putting myself on the line, but I'm putting God on the line, who I've been trying to witness about over all this time. But I was confident that he said it, and so I stepped out and obeyed. And I said, well, you all know that I believe in a real God that really answers prayer. So I will ask my God that he is found and that he is found safe. So we, you know, go to our classes. I pray for this kid over the next few days. And I return to the common area, uh, and this girl has this really bright expression on her face. And she goes, you'll never believe it. They found him. They found him across the state in a city where I guess he had some, uh, like, extended family. He's sitting on a stoop smoking a cigarette, and his aunt or something randomly drives by and happens to see him. And from there, they're able to kind of scoop him up and, and, and bring him back to the family. She's telling me this story. She goes, and Wyatt, when I was talking to his mom, she said that it was a miracle. She said, you'll never believe it. We found him and it's a miracle. And you said that you would pray to a God who really hears prayers. Wyatt, I think it was a miracle. All right, so again, we look at the pattern, okay? And this time, I wasn't actually asking the Lord what to do. He just sort of like knocked me with it. Uh, So I have a sense of, okay, the Lord is leading this way, so I'm going to join in him with what he's doing. I'm going to take the risk. I'm going to pray it out. And then when the ask is answered and the thing happens, I receive joy. I'm bolstered. Now I have confidence that, okay, like, again, I'm like, I belong to Jesus, and I'm really hearing his voice, and we're really doing the family business together, right? It, it encourages me to persevere. Uh, I pray to the end. So learning how to pray in the name of Jesus 
Number one, it begins with being adopted into the family of God. And then from there, it's mostly a process of discerning what the will of God is for that moment or situation. Papa, what does it mean to participate in your family business right now? What are you up to? It, and it takes time to develop that. Like every discipline or skill in the Christian life, it takes time to develop. And, uh, and first and foremost, when we're trying to discern Heavenly Father, what business are you about today? We check it and we apply it with the scriptures. The scriptures are our guide. Uh, the ancient church used to talk about the scriptures being a canon, which is a word for a tool that was a measure of straightness. And the idea is, is you could take the scriptures and hold them up to something and see if that thing was flush or if it was warped in some way. So number one, when we're asking, Lord, what, what might you be up to? This is our guide. Number two, the more we ingest this and it becomes more and more part of us, we become more and more transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so our intuitions and our emotions and our cognitions get more and more lined up with our heavenly family and, the, and our family's business. And it just gets easier and easier to intuit what's going on around us. We have to be able to slow down enough what's, uh, to even notice what's going on inside of us in the first place, if we're going to notice the Lord's leaning. Uh, like, right now, your feet are feeling something. Not like the inside of your shoe, or they're feeling like the pressure of the floor. But you probably weren't noticing it until I just brought your attention to that, right? So I believe the Lord is actually always communicating. He's always leading. But we need to slow down our noisy souls enough to hear him. Um, so me personally, this is, this is just kind of what I do. Maybe, maybe it's helpful for you. If it's not, that's okay. I start with simply taking a deep breath and trying to quiet my noisy soul from the activity and the pressures around me. And then I start first with my will, with my desires. And I, I, I ask the Lord to search out any part of me that's not submitted to him. I'll pray, Lord, I will do whatever you want me to do. And I pray that prayer until it's true. Because <laughs> when you pray that, you've noticed, like, well, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. And, right? So we submit that to him. I've noticed that the Lord rarely leads when we're merely asking for his opinion of what we should do so that we can decide whether or not we're going to do it. Right? He's, he rarely leads then. Secondly, I will explicitly ask for his leading. I'll invite him to speak. He wants us to meaningfully participate. And so he wants to be asked. We do not have because we do not ask. So I ask for his leading. And then after asking for leading, I simply just kind of scan through, what am I noticing? What thoughts are in my head? Lord, that Bible verse popped into my head. Is that you? Are you leading me there? When I'm having these emotions, I'm feeling anxious or I'm feeling at peace. Is that, is that you? Are you in there somewhere? Lord, in my gut, I have this intuition. Are, is, is that you? And just bring those to the Lord and sift through it with him. And finally, one of my favorite sayings is that faith is, spilled, is spelled R-I-S-K. So eventually, it takes, it's time to take a risk and to pray the thing out uh, or to do the thing. And we try and we try again and again and again. Powerful prayer takes practice. So 
practice. I learned to pray mostly by praying with others. I learned to pray at 6 a.m. In, in a dark sanctuary with one or two men that were older and more mature than me. And we've, we have worked to create avenues for y'all to learn and grow that way as well. For instance, 9 a.m. every Sunday, there's a group of amazing and beautiful people who gathers over in Luther Hall to pray for our church and to pray for the service. So you can, every Sunday at 9 a.m., show up. You don't need to RSVP or anything. Show up and pray with them. And, and I promise you, you will absorb more of how to pray when you're hanging out and praying with these folks uh, because the Lord has really gifted them. By the way, if you're new or feel new and you're looking for a way to get connected, you can do that because you definitely want to know all the people that are in that group. They're really cool people. Uh, you can come to our monthly men and women's prayer meetings, right? We do them on Thursdays. We just did the men's one. They're on our events calendar. Show up at 6.30 a.m. and pray with a group of men, a group of women. Pray for our church uh, and pray together. You can always uh, come up and receive prayer during communion. We have a prayer team for a reason. Sometimes people are nervous to go up. Like, are people going to think that I'm weird if I go up to the... Here's the secret. It's actually usually our most mature, godly, like stable people who actually have the guts to come forward and practice dependence by going, I need something from Jesus today. Uh, so I encourage you to do that. They're there and would love to, to pray that with you. And you can actually put this uh, lesson into practice today by responding uh, and going to pray uh, with those folks. So what God really wants is to have us join in his family business and for his family to grow by including more people in it. But doing this is really hard for us. It's hard because of our immaturity. It takes time to learn and absorb new truths. And it's hard because of our past hurts and fears. And we don't want to get embarrassed or we don't want to be let down again. It's hard because of warfare around us. We have a real enemy who would hate it if we began walking more and more in the power of praying in Jesus' name. But mostly this is hard because of our sin. In our sin, we rebel against the Father and we neglect the family business, instead tending to our own passions and pleasures. But family, there's nowhere else to go. Jesus alone has the words of life. We all have rebelled against God, forsaking his family name and the purposes of his family business, arrogantly taking up our own. When someone remains in that state, not abiding in him, they're thrown away like a branch and they wither. And the branches are gathered up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Our only hope is to repent, come home, ask to be adopted into God's family and commit to being about the father's family business. He loves to answer that prayer. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him won't perish, will have everlasting life. Jesus purchased your adoption with his own flesh and blood. And all we have to do is say yes to his family name and forsake our own purposes for his family business. And if you have done that, then you're a Christian. And I invite you to come and celebrate that reality with us in communion. The way that we do communion at Redeemer is that you come when you're ready, 
There'll be stations up in front, up one in the balcony and a gluten-free one here. We tear off a piece of the bread, dip it into the cup. Stoneware is wine, and glassware is juice. If you aren't a Christian, we actually ask that you don't take this meal with us. Instead, pray. You can pray in your pew, or you can pray with the team that's up here. For everyone, uh, we have those prayer ministers that are available, and they'd love to pray with you about anything, body, soul, or spirit. All right, let me pray for us. Hmm. Heavenly Father, there is nowhere else to go. There's nothing greater than being in you, being aligned with you, and being on board for your purposes. So Lord, wherever there's any of us that are out of alignment with that, I ask that you would draw us near you right now. If there's folks who are not in Jesus, that are not in the family of God, I ask that you would woo them to make a decision to jump in. And Lord, if we're in your name, but maybe this morning we're not so much about your business, we're about our own, to capture our hearts and help us to embrace your purposes. Jesus, thank you for purchasing our family name with your body and blood. Would you be with us this morning as we celebrate that? In the name of Jesus, amen.